Wonderful. Why don't you give him a hand clap? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We know the scripture, John chapter 16, which says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Oh, happy day when I receive that spirit. Amen. When he washed all my sins away. And what a happy day when he recognized the faith. Amen. When he recognized the righteousness that he put in me. Amen. That we lived and we stayed and we labored in his love and allowed him to fill us with his Holy Spirit that he could lead and guide us. Oh, he says, yet a little while, you won't see me no more, speaking to the disciples, but yet a little while and you'll see me. We're in that day. We still see him. Amen. And one day when we'll see him, we shall know him for we'll be like him. Amen. I think of that, that quote, Brother Brown talks about it in oneness, and he says, we're in the end. Oneness. Are you so one with God? He says, that's the way you're going to have to be. We're going to have to be one with him to let the mind that was in Christ be in you. Then Christ, his own mind in you, will recognize every word that he wrote. Be it unto me, Lord according to thy word. Amen. Amen. I'll have you remain standing. I just wanted to show you a, a quick video, it's 10 seconds long. If you just dim the lights up here, Brother Jake, it's a little bit dark, but I wanted to bring you some resurrection morning greetings from our pastor. What a resurrection that was. What a resurrection this is. We are a part of the resurrection. Amen. It's short. But what a resurrection this is. Amen. Hallelujah. That's him ministering there. And I'm going to say it wrong. Kakuga. Does that say it right? Do you recognize that? K-A-K-O-O-G-A. -O -O <laughs> Amen. In the Kakuga church there. Ministering to the believers of Brother James Devundabundi this morning. Amen. Yeah, I don't speak Lugandan, so amen. Why don't we sing a, just a uh, verse and a chorus as we welcome Brother Tim to bring the word. Are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. What a resurrection this is. Amen. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We'll start with the first verse. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.
What a wonderful assurance that is. If you have Jesus, you have everything. Reminds me of a story of Charles Spurgeon was walking as a young man out in the forest and uh, between towns, and he was, uh, he was hearing this voice cry out, what? All this and Jesus too? All this and Jesus too? And he kept hearing it, and he kind of went towards where the voice was coming from and, and ended up there was a little hut in a clearing and he just looked in the, the window of the hut and he says, there was a poor woman. He says the hut didn't really have any furniture. It had a bed and one chair. And on the chair was a piece of bread and the woman was on her knees praying over her meal that she was going to have. And she had her hands up to God. What all this and Jesus too. I think you've got a little more than that. I think we can cry out, what all this and Jesus too. What a blessed people we are. Amen. Amen. We are above all people of any generation. We live in the, um, the greatest um, natural society that has ever lived, but yet we also live under the greatest revelation of the word that has ever been given. And we praise God for that. We are a blessed people. And here we are to, to commemorate the resurrection morning. We call it Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. And uh, this is a great day. This is a great day, a great commemoration. And you've been a wonderful congregation. Thank you for your presence here this weekend and this morning uh, the Lord has done wonderful things. Uh, I heard a testimony. I don't know if Sister Frunchak is here this morning. Is she here? Some? Oh, there she is sitting there. And uh, right down in front, I'm looking over the whole congregation. I thought, where is she? She's right down here in front. She said, she sent the testimony that, you know, her elbow, was it, was giving her trouble and she couldn't use her arm. But when she got home last night, she says she raised her arm without realizing it. Yeah. Hallelujah. We thank God for that. You know, I believe that is what God has brought this message to bring. It's what we call the third pole. You know, if you know the vision of the third pole, it was that the people went into a room. It's a vision. It's in symbol form. The people went into a room uh, with ailments and came out whole, and they didn't know what happened. That's the ministry of the Word. The third pole is the opening of the Word. And I believe that, Brother Bram says in one place, if you can get the people in one mind and one accord, he says healings will just spontaneously begin to take place. How many would desire that this morning? Amen. Thank you, musicians. That's all the singing will do. Sorry to hold you up here. And uh, I want to say thank you to Brother Ed Hammermeister for his invitation to be here this weekend. 
we're great buddies, but, you know, it seems like whenever he comes to Vancouver, I'm on my way out of town, and whenever I come to Edmonton, he's on his way out of town. <laughs> Happens lots of times, and so it just seems to be the way it is, but we do love each other, and we appreciate him so much, and thank him for the invitation to be here with you this weekend. Always have enjoyed uh, ministering in this church to these people. God has done wonderful things in your lives. And I just want to make one uh, statement this morning. I said I would make a special announcement. Uh, we have a podcast. Uh, it's called the Believer's Faith Challenge Podcast. If you don't listen to it, that's how you'd search for it under that name. You could also find it on our uh, website, BibleWay.org, under the missions section. And uh, this morning we have a podcast. I was listening to it on the way to church this morning because we always try and get it out Saturday night so that people can hear it maybe before church. Nice to hear a missions report on something, and it's about missions work. And this morning we were, uh, we were talking with Brother Murphy Wong, whom just a month ago announced that the entire message has been translated into Chinese. Praise be to God. And we're so thankful to God for that. Now the message in its entirety is in Spanish, in French, and in Chinese. Isn't that glorious? You, go ahead. We can applaud the Lord for that. We appreciate all the translators and their labors, and I, I'm sure I've said it here before, but you know when Brother Branham was, was in a vision and saw the preview of the bride, the last day's bride was clothed in the, in the garments, in their own national garb, or the garments of their own nation. Now we know when we get on the other side, we won't have our national garb. We'll all be clothed in white robes. So we realize that the vision was symbolizing something that the bride in the last days would have the wedding garment of the Word in their own national language. And so this is a great work that's being done by translators all over the world, and may God bless the translators. We are fortunate to speak English. How many people were born here this morning speaking a language other than English? Put your hand up. I'm sure there's quite a number. I've seen quite a number of immigrants live here, probably French and, and maybe some Portuguese, I don't know, and different ones. But uh, to have the message in your language, to be able to read it, is phenomenal. There was a brother, I don't mean to have, keep you standing, but I'll stand the whole service if you don't mind. Uh, there was a brother in Uganda, northern Uganda, who they came and asked that we would help them in translation, and that's in the uh, Karamojong language in the Karamoja region, a very remote, primitive region. And uh, a Andrew should go visit there sometime. Um, I'm too scared to go there. <laughs> These are primitive people. This is where they still have warriors and, and they still have a... Ah, I won't go into all that. Nevertheless, the brothers, you know, they, they came and they said, you know, we need help in translation. They didn't have any messages in their language up until um, two years ago. And they came when I was in Uganda one time, and so we, said, we agreed that we would help them. And one of the brothers gave the testimony. He says, uh, when I first started ministering, when I first received the message, he says, I couldn't read English, and I didn't have a Bible in my own language. He says, but I had an English Bible. 
He says, and I went out into the, to the jungles and prayed and fasted. He says, God, I need to read your Bible if I'm going to preach to your people. And, and he fell asleep there in the jungle as he was praying. And in his sleep, he had a dream. And the Lord spoke to him. He says, you can read your Bible now. And he woke up and he could read English. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. God is a miracle working God. Amen. He still does miraculous things in this age. And, and uh, I believe if you need a miracle from God, God can do that for you. May he raise our faith this morning into great levels of faith in Jesus Christ. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms 147. I'd just like to speak this morning on the infinite God. Psalms 147. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Wonderful Heavenly Father, words can never express, no matter what language it is, Lord, what you mean to us. We thank you, Lord, that we will be able to live throughout eternity. But yet, Lord, even as long as we shall live and praise your name, we can never exhaust the inexhaustible fountain of all truth, the infinite God whom we serve. So, Lord, we realize with our finite minds this morning that we cannot understand, really, what infinite is. But Lord, help us to speak about it for not any other purpose than to glorify your name. As we look into your word, may you anoint it to our hearts that it might increase our faith to overcome for that, for that purpose you've called us in this hour to be overcomers, that we might sit with you in your throne. And so, Father, take this service under your divine control. We see more here this morning than we're here in the last couple meetings. And so we ask, Father, if somebody is new, maybe here in the meetings for the first time, Lord, may you quicken them. May you bring us all together in one mind and one accord. This meeting is not natural. It is supernatural. It's not limited to these three dimensions. It goes beyond that, Lord. And Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word and the speaking thereof in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Psalms 147 and verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord does build up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the numbers of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Science says there's billions of them out there. It says he knows the name of every one of them. Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. Amen. Amen. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. I also want to look at Job chapter 9. If you want to turn to it, that's fine. You can put it up here on the screen if you like. 
In Job chapter 9 and verse 4, it says, He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and has prospered. That's a good question. Who can harden themselves against God and prosper? We know that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God and did not prosper. Lost his army, lost a lot of a good portion of his economy. It says, which, re, which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Arcturus, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, and wonders without number. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passes on also, but I perceive him not. There was Job describing his thoughts about God that were too great to understand. And the God that we serve is infinite. Brother Branham said the word infinite, there's no way to explain what infinite is. And if we, we, it's impossible for us to really understand it, but as we, as we look at it this morning, we, we realize that, you know, if we take a, a dictionary definition, we, it would say infinite means limitless or endless in space, extent or size. It's impossible to measure or calculate. It's boundless. It's innumerable. It's inestimable. inestimable. I don't even know how to say that. Infinite, Brother Branham says, is perfect. And our God being infinite and so great, and we, we, we often think of infinite as great, but that's not really what infinite means. Because, you know, when, when science or the carnal mind of man looks at infinite, they, they, uh, they look at it as being so massive. But it's not so great that it's so big, but it's so great that it can be so small also. It's, it's infinitely small as well as infinitely large. It's infinite in every direction. It's infinite in every shape. It's infinite in every knowledge and understanding. And the understanding of our God is infinite. And because he's infinite, because God is infinite, he cannot change. He cannot learn a new thing. He knows the end from the beginning. I hope you don't mind me talking about him like this this morning. He doesn't even have to change. Because he's without limit in his understanding. He knows everything that was and will be and ever will be. And Brother Branham says there's one thing about God. He says he does not make no mistakes. His first decision is his only decision. Because he is infinite. And to be infinite, that's perfect times perfect plus perfect and perfect. Now that's, that's a... That's a prophet trying to describe the God that he understands better than you and I understand. He knew all things from the beginning. He never has to take a word back. He never has to improve. Let me just say it this way. He doesn't change with culture. 
He doesn't have to adjust himself to Laodicea. He doesn't have to adjust himself to this current scientific knowledge. He invented science. You know, he doesn't have to adjust himself in order to fit into whatever the government thinks is the right thing or the wrong thing to say. He doesn't have to adjust himself to whatever is preached in the universities. He doesn't have to adjust himself to whatever you think or whatever I think. God is infinite. He does not change. He has no reason to improve because he's infinite. And because his first decision is the only decision can ever be made. He does not learn more. He does not get smarter as we claim to do. But he was perfect to begin with. And because he's perfect and he's infinite, and I just have to go into some of these details of us to help us understand as we get into the subject. Because he's infinite, he knows all about you. There's nothing about you that he doesn't know. You can't hide anything from God. You might say, well, I'm ashamed to talk to God about this. He already knows about it. You know, I, I, I really don't know if God wants me to talk about this or God, I, I just, you know, it's funny that Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden, how they ran from the presence of the Lord as if God didn't know where they were. When, when God came down in the Garden of Eden and called Adam, where are you? I don't think it was God wondering where Adam was. It was God wondering if Adam knew where Adam was. And sometimes he comes calling us, wondering if you know where you are. And we realize sometimes when God reveals himself to us that we were in worse shape than we really thought we were. Amen? And so God has to reveal himself to us. If God reveals, and that's why, personally, that's why I believe in a progressive revelation, is because God cannot put everything he wants us to see on us all at once. It would, as some would say, it would explode our minds. You know, we just wouldn't be able to comprehend it. You think you get anxious by all of the knowledge that is being expounded in this age. Listen, they, they, the scientists recently wrote a letter. I think there was a hundred scientists and, and the, 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 one of the richest men in the world, Elon Musk, you've probably heard about him. Everybody's heard about him. And, and you know, they wrote a letter saying, we need to put a full stop, a moratorium on artificial intelligence. Yeah. And, and they're scared of where artificial intelligence is going to take this world. I'm not scared of it because I'm connected to a greater intelligence than any artificial intelligence will ever be. That's just the, the reality of it. Brother Branham says, well, if he is infinite, he knowed every flea that would ever be on the earth. How many times it ever bat its eyes and how much tallow it would make. That's our God. You'll never get an artificial intelligence to that level. That's before the foundation of the world ever started. He knew that. Now that wouldn't even half express infinite. He's so perfect till he knowed everything that would ever do. He knowed every time how many, how long your fingernail would be. He knows how many of you forgot to trim your fingernails. Is that all right, Brother Sam? <laughs> he knows everything about you. Yes, sir. He says, and how many times you batted your eye? 
And how many times you moved your finger before the world ever began? Every individual. He knows every detail about every individual, about the seven billion people that are on the face of the earth. That's infinite. There's no explaining it, so you can't explain the word. Yet he loved you. He knew everything about you. He knew every mistake you'd ever make. He knew everything you said wrong. He knew everything you did wrong, but he loved you anyway. And he put your name on the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. I quote Spurgeon sometimes. I get into a Spurgeon mindset maybe sometimes, but I've I've quoted him several times this weekend. You think that's all I read is Spurgeon. I haven't read him for years and years and years, but he was a great preacher. And one of the things that he said always stuck with me. It was, I know God loved me before I was born because he wouldn't have loved me after I was born. Amen. A lot of us can say amen to that. He knew where we come from. He knew what we would be like. He knew what home we would be raised in. He knew what culture we would be raised in. He knew what our scars would be. He knew what our difficulties would be. He knew exactly what we would battle through. He knew what kind of sickness would try and attack you. And how many times it would try and attack you in your life. And he provided for all of them at Calvary. That's our infinite God providing an infinite sacrifice, which I'll get to in a little bit. Brother Bram says, there's no explaining it, but he knew me, yet he loved me. He says, he knew we'd be here. He knowed I'd be here in the world. He knew that I'd be standing here before there was a world here. If we look at it, we realize that God knew exactly that you would be here in this age because he wrote this message for you. He sent this message just for you in this age that you could overcome in this age because the elect of the hour are quickened by the message of the hour. God knew all the way back in your lineage if your your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-grandparents or go all the way back to a hundred generations, whatever it might be, going back, you go back all that way. If every one of them in a hundred generations would have had their child in your lineage one year earlier You'd have been here in a previous age, 100 years ago. But you came in this age, and God knew you would be here. And he knew, furthermore, the infinite God spoke through a prophet in such a way that you can listen to a message tape that was preached 50, 60, 70 years ago, and you can listen to it, and it'll inspire you and say, that was just for me. Because there was an infinite God that knew you would be here in this hour and you would need a specific something in your life on a specific day because you're going through a specific battle and he had his prophet to say it. Because he's infinite. He knew we'd be here. He knew I'd be standing here before there was a world. He knew you'd be sitting in a seat you are. He's infinite. Certainly, he knows you. Then he says, what are you scared about? He put your names on, on, name on the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. The Bible said he did. What are you worried about? You got the Holy Ghost sealed into the kingdom of God. How long? Until the day of your redemption. He said, and then he says, the church is scared. Don't be scared. 
fear not, only believe. That's what God wants. And I'll go further than that, and I'll say, if God is infinite, then it, more than he knows your actions and, and well, your mistakes and, and your good actions too and all of those things, God know, knew every thought you would ever think before you thought it. You know, I'll, I'll go, I'll get off track here, and I have to watch my time, but, well, we only have one service today. Have we got lots of time? All right. Now, in the Garden of Eden, God knew everything. Sin didn't start in the Garden of Eden. Sin started in heaven. Lucifer rebelled against the Word of God because he thought he had a better idea of of bringing a, a, a civilization of beauty. Well, congratulations, you're living in it. This is Satan's Eden. This is what he designed. And I ask you, is it better than the Word? No, it's not better than the Word. It's an evil place. It's a place full of desires that, and lusts that are evil and men that are corrupted in power and all of those kind of things. But God, when he casts Satan out of heaven, Michael and his angels defeating Lucifer and the deceived angels, they were cast out of heaven. And he says, Brother Bram says, Lucifer came right down into the Garden of Eden. Now God allowed him to come into the Garden of Eden knowing that he would wreak havoc on his own family. His own son, Adam, and his own daughter, Eve. God knew that it would wreak havoc on them, or he's not infinite. Are you with me? So God allowed that to happen for a reason. Why did he allow the evil to take place? Because only by allowing that to happen, and I'll say it again, in his own family, could he bring out attributes within himself that could not be expressed any other way? Because in him was to be a savior. In him was to be a redeemer. In him was to be a healer. In him was to be a provider. All of these things that were in God that could only be expressed if something needed saving could only be expressed as something needed healing. And so he allowed the evil one to come and deceive his children that he might express fatherhood in a greater way than has ever been expressed before. Hallelujah. That's our God. He's infinite in his ways. And he knows all things. And because of that, that gives him foreknowledge. And his foreknowledge allows him to predestinate. We don't have these attributes ourselves. Brother Branham says in Christ the mystery of God revealed, the reason he could predestinate is because he's infinite. You believe that? So therefore he knowed everything. He knowed the end and he could tell the end from the beginning. He's God. If he can't do that, he's not God. That's it. He's infinite. All right. I've said a lot of things so far. How many believe God's infinite? How many believe God doesn't make mistakes? All right. Now, the Bible says in Romans 8 about his foreknowledge. Who he foreknew, he did predestinate to be conformed 
to the image of his son. All right, so it goes back now to the infinite mind of God. And in the infinite mind of God, he predestinated a seed to be conformed or be, be molded by the word into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's you. And moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called. Amen? Is that right? Is that what the scripture says? How many of you has God called? All right, now I led you to this place because I want you to make a confession. I'll ask you again, does God make mistakes? God called you. He predestinated you. He doesn't make mistakes. He brought his word by your way for a reason. You might be going through battles. You might come to the lowliest place in your life. You might have the devil trying to assault you and tell you you're just a mistake. My God does not make mistakes. I make mistakes. Brother Branham says he made mistakes. He said in one place, I make mistakes every day. That's why we need grace. But God never makes mistakes. God did not call you to lose you. Who he did predestinate, he called. Moreover, whom he called, he justified. Amen. Amen. He imputed righteousness to you by faith as we spoke. And because of that, it's as though you never sinned in the first place. God looks at you through the blood and says, this person never sinned in the first place. Let me say it again. That's what justified means. It means as though you never sinned in the first place. So I'll ask you again, does God make mistakes? God doesn't make mistakes. He looks at you and sees a perfect individual through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the word of God. I'm not trying to pump you up. That's the word of God. And whom he did predest, who predestinated, he called, whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he has already glorified. Amen. Amen. You're already on the way, as I said in the first service. You are caught in a vortex of God's redemptive purpose. If you're a seed of God, I challenge you, just try to escape. God has brought you into the middle of a vortex that you can't escape from. You might try and run and hide. You might try and escape God. You know, young people that are raised in the message might try and run away from God and say, oh, you know, it's too strict. It's too much. It's too this. It's too that. Because often, you know, when it comes to young people, as we're raising our young people, it is a lot of do's and don'ts. And we haven't shown them enough of the love of God that thought of them before the foundation of the world. At least that's my fault. I don't know what you're like as a parent. See, because the love is the most powerful force that there is. Correction is not the most powerful force that there is. Love is the most powerful force that there is. You're already glorified in the sight of God. You can't get away from it. So why don't you just surrender yourself to it? And let God do a full and complete work in your life, conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, being infinite changes what things mean. All right? It changes what words that we describe because we're human and our our minds are finite. We have an idea of what's big and what's small. 
All right? So we say the universe is big. But God is bigger than the universe. God made the universe. Matter of fact, let me, let me describe for you for a moment this what we call big. In that, you know, they, uh, I'll just tell you what science says about it. Science often doesn't get things right. But let's pretend they got this right, okay? Let's pretend. They say about 13.8 billion years ago that all matter, that's everything you see, everything that exists in the universe, was of an infinite density and temperature. Smaller than the size of a proton. Okay, infinite in its density and its temperature, but smaller than the size of a proton. So we could say infinite in its smallness. Okay, you see, they can't say it didn't exist because that wouldn't match their equations. We can say it didn't exist because God created it. All right, but math cannot tell them that something comes from nothing. Math doesn't work that way. All right, now, I realize they say if you just, if you use a lot of numbers, you, you, every equation you use, you lose half the people. So uh, I'll try not to use equations here. But they say the, in a moment, and it's smaller than a moment, in, in the, the universe at that time, in the beginning, grows from a millionth of a billionth of a meter. That's the size. A millionth of a billionth of a meter to a hundred million kilometers across instantaneously. That's what they tell them. That's what their equations say happened at the beginning. It was so small and grows to such a giant size, a hundred million kilometers Faster than you can snap your fingers. It's, if you really, if any of you are mathematical, it's 10 to the minus 32 seconds. And I realized I lost half of you when I said that. It would be like an ant. You may know what an ant is. Expanding to the size of the Milky Way galaxy in that, in that amount of time frame. You can't imagine it. You can't calculate it. It's beyond our conception but this is what science dabbles in. But at that point in time, now, at that moment, it's still too hot even for atoms to form. You say, why are you telling us, Brother Tim, this? This is what God's faith created. All right? It didn't exist, but all of a sudden it came from nothing to a huge expansion in a moment. That's the faith of God. That's the faith that has been deposited in your heart. Brother Bram says you're an amateur creator. There's enough power in you by, a holy, by the Holy Ghost to create, speak worlds into existence and go and live on them. That's how much power is in every born again son and daughter of God. It's only limited by the revelation that God gives you to operate it by. You see, but that's the same creative power that was in God because it's of the same quality. So in this, in this moment, let, let me just say, and I'm not going to all these details, but let me say it takes 47,000 years, they say, for clumps of matter to begin to form. Talk about faith. God, who is infinite, and one day is as 1,000 years, so we could say 47 days. 
God spoke things into existence, and then it began to coalesce or form into matter that, that could be tangible. And, and then another, thousand, another billions of years for planets and galaxies and all those things to form. They say it's 14 billion years old. And it's only been in the last four or five billion years that it becomes into a recognizable form of what we recognize now as a universe. So now I'm, now I'm, even though I say four or five billion years, that's still long before Genesis 1-1, or Genesis 1 when Moses wrote it. Now here's, here's the part that thrills my heart. God shows his prophets by vision. His word. Now he commissions Moses to write his word. And he says to Mo, he shows Moses creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the, and the earth. He shows Moses what science is dabbling into and the creation of the universe. I can't imagine what Moses saw in his mind as God began to show him by vision this creation and different things happening and all of the events that are unfolding over thousands and millions and billions of years. And Moses takes his pen. He's going to describe it now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There it is, folks. That's all we need to know. You can go to university, you can work out your mathematical equations, you can figure it all out, you can trace it all back, you can look at, at light and, and, and all of, trace it back all the way to microwave radiation and all of those kinds of things in the universe and go all the way back in your thinking. Listen, Moses saw it in a vision. And all he wrote was, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. That's our God. Amen. That's God revealing himself through a prophet. Because knowing the details of it doesn't give you the faith. But knowing that God did it gives you the faith that your infinite God is in control of all things. Because this world is not held in place by, by science. This world and this universe is held in place by the word of God. And that's how it all holds in its existence. And it's all perfectly timed out exactly. If you ever study the stars and the cosmology and all of those kind of things, you'd just be amazed at the power of the infinite God that you serve. I don't want to di digress anymore on that statement. But we view the universe as big. We view things as complicated. I don't know if we have any engineers here. Maybe we do. But engineers, you know, they learn how to make things. It's always amazing when I see uh, an engineer design things. You know, the space technology of rockets and things designed by engineers. I wouldn't know the first thing about it. You know, I don't even know how my car drives. I know that I turn the key if it's got gas in it, that it'll go. Maybe some of you drive electric cars. I don't have a clue how that works. I just know that it works. It's a certain level of faith that you have in the ability of humankind. And so we, we do these things, and, and, but to God, there's no big and there's no little. That's what infinite means. There's no complicated and there's no simple. 
See, now you're starting to think about this, what infinite really means. That's why with God, God doesn't have bigger things to think about or little things to think about. God just knows all things. Say, well, how does that apply to us, Brother Tim? So I had somebody, this is what inspired this whole subject. I had someone say to me in the midst of something that they were trying to avoid in their lives dealing with, they said to me, God has bigger things to think about than that. And that just struck me wrong. And I thought, that can't be right. It doesn't matter how small your problem is, your God is infinite. And it doesn't matter how big your problem is, God knows all about it. It doesn't matter how difficult you think your circumstances are, your God is bigger than that. Or it doesn't matter how small you feel as though, as though it's insignificant to God, God knows every little detail. That Brother Bram says that's what makes God so great is that he can make himself so small. The, the, our Redeemer who came and lived on the earth and stood in the temple as the disciples were describing the temple to him and, and talking about all the things that they knew about the temple and the stones and the history and all of these things, thinking Jesus didn't know. And they're, they're telling him, talking to him about it and Jesus is standing there and he draws their attention to a little woman with two little mites that comes into the treasury and drops into her two little mites into the offering box. Hallelujah. And this is the mind of God now. As, he's, as he looks at that and he tells his disciples, he says, see that woman's offering there? She gave her two little mites. And I'll tell you what, she gave more than all the rich people. See, that's what poor people have an advantage over the rich people. They can give their all. Because Jesus said she, out of her poverty, gave everything she had. But the rich people will never give everything they have. Sorry, rich Laodiceans. But that's the reality of it. But God was drawn to this woman who might, in her own self, said, my offering is insignificant. My offering doesn't mean anything. We got this big temple. What can two little mites do in the kingdom of God? What can two pennies do in an offering? But that wasn't it to God. God drew everybody's attention. He didn't say, Rabbi so-and-so gave 100,000 and priest so-and-so, he gave 150,000 and, and this rich businessman over here, he gave 2 million and all those. You don't find that in the scripture. Praise the Lord. Listen, folks, God's looking at this little woman, and he sees her two little mites, and he says her reward is greater than their reward. Hallelujah. So if you've got little, and you're able to give all that you got, say, all I got is just this, Lord, just take. If all I got is $5 to give in the offering, Lord, I'm sorry, that's all I have. God looks down on that, and he says, you gave more than a rich person. Hello? That's what infinite means. I realize, rich people, this isn't a very encouraging part of this message. But it makes us poor people realize how much we really mean to God. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. So there's no big problems. There's no little problems. There's just problems. 
There's no hard circumstances or easy circumstances. It's just circumstances. All of these are just fallen human conditions that are dictated by our lack of capacity or our finite brains or our finite understanding or our finite strength. And because we're finite, to us they seem big, but nothing seems big to God. There's no sickness that is too big for God. There's no difference to God between cancer and a toothache. Trying to get you to see this, what infinite really means. There's no difference in the mind of God. You say, Lord, I'm sick and I've got cancer, or Lord, I'm sick and I got a toothache. Makes no difference to God. You people, if there's anybody here that's got cancer or battling some tremendous disease that the doctor says you can't get over, it doesn't mean anything more to God. It's no more difficult to God than it would be to heal you of a toothache or to heal you of a cut on your hand or anything like that. That makes no difference to God. Because he's infinite. And we need to get over that in our mind when we come to God and we say, oh, I got a heart problem or I got a cancer or I got this or the doctor says I got that or I got diabetes or any of those kind of things. As we said, when Jesus went to hell, he put his foot on every one of those demons. Amen. He he conquered them all. And there wasn't one demon that was bigger than another demon. Praise the Lord. Are you with me this morning? I just sometimes think about the infinite quality of the message of the hour and how that in 1,200 sermons, an infinite God can express himself and all the mystery of God can be finished in 1,200 sermons. It's an amazing thing. And I just begin to look at different messages and, and think about what I could see in a message and then multiply that out by 1,200 messages. The, the, the number of calculations that come in my mind are just an incredible amount of numbers. I can't even describe it. It's like, uh, it's like a one with 130 zeros behind it. The possible combinations of just what I can think of within the different messages. You, we will never exhaust this message. People might think, I've heard it all. You have not heard it all. Oh my, if you think you've heard it all, your finite mind is not comprehending what infinite really means. Our God, who is infinite, spoke through a prophet in this hour a powerful message that is bigger than anything you or I will ever realize. And personally, I've preached about 3,000 times in my life. And in order to even get close, and it wouldn't even be close, I'd have to preach hundreds of thousands of times. In 40 years of ministry, I preached 3,000 times. But you'd have to preach hundreds of thousands of times to exhaust just what God put into the message. That's not everything he is, but just what he put into the message to reveal all the mystery. How great is the infinite God? Oh, we ought to fall on our face and say, Lord, we don't understand you like we ought to understand you. God knows every drop of rain that'll ever fall. And those of us that live in Vancouver say, that's a lot of drops of rain. But you know, when God made the earth, he knew every soul that would walk upon it, where they would be, when they would be there, and what part of the earth they would need. Brother Ram says, God put your bodies here before you came here. He put the elements that are contained in your body 
in this earth for you to have the body to live in. All right? But let me go a step further now, and let's, we won't take our Bibles, but let's look at this now. How that there was, there was a place when God was, the, the Holy Spirit was brooding over the earth and separating the light from the darkness and then separating the fir- heavens from the firmament and separating the waters from the land. And there was a place that God had his eye on that he knew he was going to build his temple over there in the promised land. All right? And he, God is brooding over the earth in his creation and bringing things into existence. He knew exactly who would need what there. He knew that there would be a boy by the name of David that would come to defeat a giant by the name of Goliath in a certain valley there at a certain time. But at the time when God created that valley, there was just maybe big boulders. But the waters begin to move and the rains begin to fall and it begin to pour down on that landscape and begin to sculpt the landscape. And eventually the river became a creek and the creek began to flow through the land and as the water began to flow over the stones that were there, what was God doing? He says, I'm, I'm making a stone that's going to kill a giant. Thousands of years from now, there's going to be a boy walk through this valley. And he's going to have enough faith to stand up against the evil one. And so I'm going to just prepare some things. And the waters fell, and the rains fell, and the waters washed over those rocks, and the stones got smaller and smaller as, as, the, uh, as the waters washed over them. And thousands of years went by, and people came and lived there and moved through the land, and, and still the waters was going through the land, and the stones became smaller. And finally, God said, now David, we know, took five stones, but God had his eye on one in particular, because he's infinite. And that one in particular just became a perfect shape and a perfect size, And now came the time. It was the moment that that part of creation was going to be needed. Hallelujah. God had molded it and shaped it. I'm getting to something here. Stay with me. He molded it and he shaped it. And now comes a little boy into the valley and he tells the the king, I'm more than able to defeat this Goliath. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. I'm not wearing your armor. I never tried that. I got this sling. That's all I need. I just need to find the right stone. And he comes walking down towards Goliath and he stops at the creek. And I'll just say, maybe there's an angel there. Now, David's a skilled slinger. Not a gunslinger, he's a stone slinger. All right? And he's, he's skilled at it, so he knows what he's looking for. And as he scans the stones along that creek, an angel nudges him. Look at that one. God had that in his mind for you just at this moment. Hallelujah. If he didn't, he's not infinite. But this infinite God said, he's going to need this little stone. So David's looking around. He's like us, you know, I'm going to need five. You know, I'm not so sure or confident of my own abilities. God says, you're just going to need one is all you're going to need. And I prepared that one for you. 
Amen. And God pointed it out to him and he picked it up. He says, picked up another four. He put them in his script bag, but that one, he says, there's something about this stone. God has prepared this stone and it's going to kill Goliath. And he puts that in the sling and he whips that thing around and he runs towards Goliath and he lets it go and that thing hits Goliath smack right in the forehead exactly like God knew it would do. And that giant fell to the ground and David took his sword, the giant's own sword, and he cut off the giant's own head. See, the giant having that sword, which was made out of iron that God created, as, he molded, as it was molded there at the blacksmith shop, and they thought that that would make Goliath, Goliath a great giant. Actually, it was going to make Goliath a headless giant. Because God had ordained it so. And there was David now victorious over Goliath. But what is a stone in actuality? A stone is a confession. And God, he molds our confession. And he molds our experience. And he deals with us in our life when we get saved. And he begins to show the word to us. And our confession becomes more and more like the word. And God keeps molding our confession because he knows down the road there's going to raise up a giant in our life that's going to come against us and tell us we can't defeat Goliath. But God is the one that sends the rain of his Holy Spirit upon our life to mold our confession day after day, week after week, month after month. If that giant would have showed up in the first day, the stone wouldn't have been ready. The confession wouldn't have been ready. But when it came time for you to face the giant, God has molded your confession in the word of God. And you stand up and say, this giant means nothing to me. My God has kept his word in every area of my life. He's able to keep me today. Satan, get behind me. And that stone of that confession will destroy that devil because God molded the stone of your confession. Praise be to God. Brother Brown says in spiritual adoption, he says, the dirt and the muck of the earth has covered me up, but the gospel today has uncovered me. I think that's a good way to put it. This world wants to bury what you are, but the word comes to you to uncover the part you are. See, a lot of us, sometimes, you know, we're all a part of the temple of God, and sometimes, you know, when, when we first get saved, you know, we're a stone that's this big, but our part in the temple is only this big. So God sends stonemasons, right? Ministers to cut our stone down to size, to shape our confession, to mold us. That's what Ephesians 4 says, to mold us into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ so that we can be our part. You know, it's, it's important to realize in, in life, not what what uh, the limitless power of God is, but what the power of God is in my life. Because I can't take your place and you can't take my place. But rather, if we could surrender to God, God will put us in our place so we can fulfill what God wants in us. Amen? Are you with me? We like to quantify things, don't we? I wonder how long he's been preaching so far. Wonder what time he's going to finish. 
We like to put a number on it, don't we? God doesn't deal in numbers that way. We realize God uses numbers. But God deals in events. This morning, what's important is that we get what God brought us here to get. If it takes five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, two hours, I'm just trying to see how many amens I get. Four hours. (laughs) Whatever it takes, we want what God wants for us. Amen. How many would make that confession today? Brother Bram says, now you say that took a long time, not to God. We're finite. We just have to hurry. I was thinking when I left Jeffersonville and driving 30 miles an hour, I drove down to Birmingham in one day in a little bit of a night. And I thought, that didn't mean so much to me. But what if a little ant tried to run that? What would it mean to him? Why, he couldn't make it in thousands of lifetimes. But it didn't mean that much to me. What about an airplane? What about a jet? Then an astronaut. And then he says, then what about God? See, Jesus was only crucified yesterday afternoon in God's time. We're at the end of the second day after the crucifixion. And so if God had time, that would have been just yesterday. And God bringing everything into place just exactly as he sees it. Brother Branham says in the rising of the sun, he says, now this is the greatest history, the greatest week rather in history. The greatest celebration of all times this Easter is where he proved what he said. This is what Easter means. There's lots of men that can say things, but Easter proved what God said. The sacrifice that was made at Calvary proved that what God said is what he means. And I'm going to take you to what God said here in a little bit. Because sometimes it seems like, uh, uh, you know, it's hard to prove God. But he says, men, let me just read it the way Brother Branham says it. It is, man can say things, but yet it isn't exactly can be believed upon thoroughly until it's been proved to be the truth. And God, who said, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good, he would not tell you to do something that he would not do himself. So he proved who this was that died for our sins. How did he prove it? By raising him on Easter Sunday. The resurrection was proof that the sacrifice was sufficient. Amen? That's what God was proving. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. But rising, he justified. Amen? Because he rose, we stand justified this morning. Because he arose, we stand in a sufficient sacrifice. Let's turn to, I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. If you have it in your Bibles, they're going to put it up on a screen. I just want to look at this sacrifice for a moment and what it means to us. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers 
thereunto perfect. All right, so he's describing, Paul here to the Hebrews, is describing the law and the sacrifice as they know it, and he's just telling them, listen, if that sacrifice was perfect, it would not need to be continually offered. Another sacrifice every year. Another, another offering for the people's sins, daily, monthly, yearly, all of those things. Let's jump down to verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. It was over when he cried out, on Calvary, it is finished. That was the statement. What does the Bible say? It says he sat down on the right hand of God and henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Now here's the Lord Jesus, gave up his life at Calvary as we've discussed over the last couple of days, made the provided sacrifice, and he sat down at the right hand of God expecting was he working? No. Was he having to give more? No. Was he, was he looking to work things out and manipulate things? No. He sat down. It's over. He sat down. I don't have to do anything more. It's been put in motion. I have made the provided sacrifice. And he sat down in full expectation that every enemy would come under his feet. Amen. It had already begun. He had already taken the keys of death and hell. He ascends up on high and he says, I'm just going to lay here until every enemy becomes under my feet. That's the sacrifice. He had that kind of faith in his own sacrifice. Well, do you think you need to do, what about this? Did you think that this would rise up, that there would be a World War I and there would be a World War II and, and these things would take place and all of these evil men would rise up and, and all of these government controls would come into place and, and we would have laws brought in that are sodomite laws and all of these kind of things would come into the land and, and it would oppress your people and it would cause all kinds of troubles and communism would shut down the Chinese country away from the gospel and there would be a North Korea where they don't let anything in or out. Listen, nothing surprised him. He's infinite. It's all coming under my feet. Hallelujah. It's finished. It is finished. Or oh, if we could just catch the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is finished. Whatever promise he reveals to you, it is finished. Whatever battle you're in the midst of, sit down in expectation under the provided sacrifice. It is finished. As, as I've heard others put it, if you're, you're a part of his body, if you're just the skin on the soles of his feet, the enemy has to come underneath you also. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Amen. Glory to his name. For by one offering, verse 14 says, he has perfected sometimes. Is that what it says? He has perfected forever. Them that are sanctified. 
Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said, before this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. Listen now, he says, this is the Holy Ghost witness. In other words, this is the new birth. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, said the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hallelujah. For where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Because that's the quality of the Holy Ghost. That's the quality of this covenant. That's the quality of the new birth. You see, when God sends down the Holy Ghost, Brother Brown says, that's the abstract. It's not the title deed. Some, some people mistake the two together and say, well, it's the abstract title deed. No, the Holy Ghost is the abstract. The title deed is what Adam lost in the Garden of Eden. All right? So the title deed is what was sealed with seven seals that the Lamb in Revelation 5 went to take at the end of the ages, which is the time we're living in now, and to loose the seals that we might have the revelation of what the abstract is, or sorry, the revelation of what the title deed is. But the abstract is the Holy Ghost. The abstract was sent down in the book of Acts. The abstract was sent into the church in Acts chapter 2. And what the abstract is is separate from the title deed, though they both work together. The abstract is a, is a title search. And, the, and when a person buys a property, and Brother Branham is using an American understanding of real estate and the American laws to explain what an abstract and a title deed is, the title deed is the deed to the property that describes the length and the breadth and the width and the location and everything of the property. That's the deed. All right, but the abstract is the title search. And what the abstract does is it searches back in the records and goes back through year after year to the first time that that title was established to make sure that there's no other claims on that land. Nobody has a lien against it. Nobody has a loan against it. Nobody has claim against it. It doesn't belong to somebody other than the person who's in possession of it. And the abstract searches all that back so that the person that has the abstract with the title D can say, this is my land. Amen. And that's what the Holy Ghost does when it comes into you. It searches your life all the way back to the original title. Hallelujah. It searches back to your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, all the way back to Adam and Eve because the iniquity of the parents come upon successive generations. But when you get the Holy Ghost, it's God signifying your title is clear. Yeah. Hallelujah. The devil has nothing that he can hold against you. God giving you the Holy Ghost says the devil has no claims in your life. He cannot hold you. He cannot keep you down. He cannot keep you under bondage. He cannot keep you under sickness. He cannot keep you under depression. Come on, saints. He cannot keep you in anxiety. He cannot keep you under anything that's trying to come against your life. He has no rights. You're, you are clearly an owner of the title deed that Adam and Eve lost. Hallelujah. See, the title deed has always been here, but the problem is we didn't know what it was. 
And so it took the lamb stepping forth in this hour to take the book and to loose the seals to reveal the mysteries that we might know what we are rightfully heirs to. And so when you apply the Holy Ghost to the fullness of the revelation of the word, then that brings a rapturing faith in the church because we are entitled to a new body. We are entitled to a body change. We are entitled to a theophany. We are entitled to be caught out of here. We are entitled to live forever. We are entitled and the Holy Ghost just says the devil can't stop you from that. And that's the sacrifice because the sacrifice is infinite. It covers everything. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what kind of a life you lived. If God has given you the Holy Ghost, that's why you must be born again. If God gives you the Holy Ghost, he is signifying this person has a right to every promise in my word. So as much as I said in the last two services, it's not getting the Holy Ghost that makes you a believer. It's being a believer that gives you the Holy Ghost. But now I'll say it this way. You must have the Holy Ghost in order to claim every promise. It's yours already. It's not even whether you see it or not. See, many times there's people that come up. I've seen people come up in the prayer line, in, the, in, in prayer, not prayer line, but prayer after the service. I trust those of you that came up this weekend already have received your answer. But if you haven't, it's on the way. And I've prayed for many people and never felt a thing. Didn't feel anointed, didn't feel inspired. But this I know, I'm a believer. And I got the Holy Ghost. And he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. It's got nothing to do with my feelings. If I lay my hands on the sick, they shall recover. That's the promise of an infinite God who knew that I would be praying for that person at that moment. And he put his promise in the word and gave me the Holy Ghost so I can lay hold on that promise and walk in the power of it. Amen. Sometimes that's why we go back to the statement where Brother Bram says anointing is not emotions. Sometimes we think it is. And we don't feel anointed unless we feel emotional. Uh, No, anointing is not emotions. Anointed is knowing exactly what and how. That's revelation in the Word. By the Holy Spirit, I know exactly how this Word operates. And though I feel the worst, and I hope this is all coming together now for you this weekend. Though I feel the worst of the worst, it has nothing to do with it. There was Brother Branham in the auto wreck just before God took, his, took him off the earth. And his wife is, is laying there dead in the car beside him. Brother Branham is pinned in the vehicle. His, he, he suffered broken limbs. He's got a concussion. His head is damaged, everything. And Billy Paul is there and he says, Billy Paul, how's mama? I got, I'm paraphrasing it for you now. He says, Daddy, she's not breathing. I can't, get a, I can't get a heartbeat. And Brother Brown said, just put my hand over on her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
That's the Son of God. Just put my hand over on her because these signs shall follow them that believe. Doesn't matter how they feel. As I said yesterday or, or Friday, there was Jesus on the cross having the worst day of his life. Come on. Having the worst day of his life. But he lifted up his voice and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It was love being projected. And there was Brother Branham put his hand on his wife, said, Father, please don't take mama. We're going to need her. And she comes right back to life. What was that? That's the son of God. That has the abstract to the title deed. That's able to lay claim on the promise of God. It's no different in you. Because the sacrifice is indeed infinite. That's why when Jesus made the sacrifice, it ended all sacrifices. There was no more need of another bullock. There was no more need of another ram. There was no more need of another pigeon. There was no more need of a turtle dove. There was no more need of any more sacrifices to be laid on the altar in the temple. It was all finished. It is finished. Everything is paid for. Hallelujah. Everything you have need of this morning is paid for. Everything in God's word is paid for. Calvary made the provided sacrifice. One sacrifice, an unlimited sacrifice, without limit. You say, oh, how can we exhaust it? You can't exhaust it. It made provision for everything. He knew every mistake you'd make. He knew the mistake you'd make this coming week. How do you know I'm going to make a mistake this coming week, Brother Tim? I'll just quote John Wesley. He says, you're likely to make a mistake as you are to breathe. You look like you're still breathing. Amen. So you'll make a mistake. Don't let the devil condemn you. God knew you'd make that mistake. Come on, somebody say amen. Don't let the devil condemn you. God knew what you'd be going through. God knew you'd say things in the heat of the moment you should never say. But he made a sacrifice. Hallelujah. Well, we could really go down a road now, couldn't we? God knew every argument you'd have with your spouse. I knew there wouldn't be a lot of amens on that. All right, I'll just say it this way. And all the sisters said... And all the brothers said, Amen. all right, we're there now. God knew everything you'd say in the heat of the moment, but he made a sacrifice. You got something between you and your wife, you need to go to the altar in your home, in your bedroom, kneel down beside your bed and say, oh, let's claim the provided sacrifice for our attitude that we have between one another. Listen, saints, this sacrifice has paid the price for everything that Adam and Eve lost. What did they lose? They lost perfect love. That means you can have perfect love. They lost a perfect relationship. You know, I'll hazard a guess. It's not really much of a guess. I don't even know why on earth I'm on this subject. I don't know who had an argument before church this morning, but this is for you. All right? Now, 
I would hazard a guess that before they fell in sin, Adam and Eve never had an argument. Would you go that far with me? But I would hazard another guess that says after they fell in sin, there was plenty of those, if you wouldn't have, I wouldn't have. Because of you, all of this. And I'm sure they said it to each other. Maybe if you'd have been a better husband. The woman that thou gavest me. Adam's using a scriptural argument now. All of these things. What is that? That's just the flesh. But the abstract has come down to pay for what Adam and Eve lost and show that you are rightful heir to everything that Adam and Eve lost. They lost a perfect relationship. You can come back to that. Amen. Yes, your flesh will disrupt it time after time after time, but you can take the atonement and go back there. Amen. You can take the the blood of Jesus Christ and apply it in your home. We can apply it into every area of our life. It doesn't matter whether it's your job. It doesn't matter whether it's your children, whatever more it might be. We're thankful that it doesn't... It doesn't rest on our ability. It rests on a perfect sacrifice. Hallelujah. We're coming to a close here. Praise the Lord. Didn't take four hours. We're living in a terrible age. Be careful. Brother Bram talks about fourth dimension diseases. He says cancer has been declared to be a fourth dimension disease. What's fourth dimension? That's the the realm of science, of radio waves and television waves and all that kind of stuff. And and so they, they, he says in his day cancer became that. Well, they've done some, science has done some studies on it. 2017 there was a Smithsonian article talking about psycho genic illness, a psychological trigger, which simply means a trigger that comes through the mind, that even causes physical symptoms. This is science. This isn't me. All right? And so they, they lay this all out and, he, and say this, we may be at a crossroads in the history of psychogenic illness as the primary vector or agent of spread appears to be the internet and new technologies. So now, here's what science is saying. This isn't me. This isn't even a preacher. This is science, Smithsonian. I'll read you an article out of Harvard here in a second. But what they're saying is, is that disease is now spreading through the internet. I hope you wear a mask when you're on the internet. Sorry, I had to say that. You learn that masks aren't the issue, right? But they're, they're, they've learned now that there's a fourth dimension. There's another dimension element to disease, and it's traveling because what it is, it's demons. I mean, Brother, Brother Branham would, would lay, lay that in a service. He'd say, you know, this person over here has uh, gallbladder trouble. He says, and that person over there has gallbladder trouble. He says, there's a black streak running between them. He says, what is it? It's demons calling to each other for help. 
See, he would see into dimensions things you can't see. That person never even connected to that person. But because the disease, the devil of gallbladder trouble got into that one and got into that one, the demons are calling out for help. We don't want to go. We don't want to leave this body. The word is telling them they have to go. And they're calling to each other for strength. Let's join together. Let's band together. But the word is greater than they are. And a prophet declares to them, you're free. Amen. You can walk away from that thing. And their body must line up with their confession. Because now their confession has to be, I accept what Christ has done for me. Amen. Amen. And so, so Harvard is now writing an article about it. This was just in 2022. So it was just last year. And they're talking about TikTok. Anybody ever heard of TikTok? They call it ticks and TikTok. Why? Because they're realizing the impact these social media things are having on people's direct physical well-being. He says the first, it says the first known examples of social media-induced sociogenic illness were recognized in the last year or two, a time coinciding with the pandemic. See? People thought it was just COVID. No, no, no. People are getting locked into the internet, locked into social media, locking their minds into that kind of thing, not realizing that demons are working through that realm to take the disease that is on somebody else and put it on you. All right? He says, neurologists began to see increasing number of patients, especially teenage girls, with unusual involuntary movements and vocalizations reminiscent of Tourette's syndrome. After ruling out all other explanations... The ticks in these teenagers seem related to the many hours watching TikTok videos of people who have Tourette's syndrome. So these people have it, and other people watch these people that have it, and they get it. What is it? Demon power. Satan's Eden. Demons moving through. I'll tell you what, if you ever needed to be scared of social media, you need to be scared of it now. It's not artificial intelligence, it's demonic intelligence. That's, that's inspired men to break into realms so demons can travel on words, demons can travel on videos, and influence the lives of people. I don't know who this is for. Maybe there's only one person here that has this trouble and can get into your life and control you. As we read yesterday about Brother Branham saying, the spirits that you allow in your life, the spirits that you allow to control you, they're the ones that will dominate you. Don't let no devil dominate you. You're a son or daughter of God. You're called to walk in the fullness of the revelation of the word. You've been ordained to possess all that Adam and Eve lost. Amen. That's the reality of the hour of this. End. But Brother Branham talks about healing now. He says in 1960, he says, usually when, a, when you take a person in a wheelchair and they think, well, I'm hopeless. We're talking about the infinite God here. No, you're not. No more harder for God to heal you then it would be to stop a toothache. He's the infinite God. You just have to let him have control. And then place a faith in here, and it goes to work. 
right immediately, you might not see nothing happen. But remember, Jesus passed by a tree where there was no figs and said, no man eat from there, from thee, and went on. They didn't see no difference in the tree immediately. But way down beneath the ground in the roots, it started dying. And within 24 hours, when they passed by it again, it had begun to wither. And that's the same thing that takes place for cancer. When God's Spirit curses that thing, you might go back to the doctor, it looks just the same. But way down deep, it's dying. Why? Because he said so. Because the sacrifice is sufficient. Because he's an infinite God. And as I already said, cancer's no different to God than a toothache. There's no difference in difficulty of healings with God. Can you say amen to that? We, we're the ones, because of our finite mind, we quantify. This is a difficult case, or this is an easy case. There's no difference with God. He's infinite. There's no big, there's no little. It's just healing. I'm your healer. I'm your healer. I'm your healer. If all you got is a toothache, I'm your healer too. If all you got is a cut on your hand, I'm your healer too. If what you got is cancer, I'm your healer too. If you got diabetes, I'm your healer too. Amen. Whatever you have this morning, he's your healer. Amen. He's an infinite healer. He says, he says, that's the same thing that takes place for cancer. When God's spirit curses that thing, you might go back to the doctor. It looks just the same, but way down deep, it's dying. Way down deep upon you, if you accepted Christ as your healer, maybe you can move, can move that finger a little teeny bit more. God's on the job. Believe what you say shall come to pass, and you can have what you say. If that isn't true, God isn't true, and the Bible isn't true. But my confession is that's the truth. Sometimes, you know, we, we have to watch how it comes, because we're expecting, you know, that I, I really want faith to have a miracle. Oh, let me, can I just go just one more step here? Is this all right? I want to just leave you with this in your life. I was dealing with this on Wednesday night. And so I want to just, just get it here. Excuse me for sidetracking here, but I just feel to share this. Brother Branham in the church age book says, what does he mean by the word of his patience? He says, you see, the Spirit is speaking about the word of God which is given to us. To wait for the fulfillment of that word required patience, even as it did in the case of Abraham. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. What does that mean? Who is the invisible one? That's God. What does it mean to see him? It means to identify the qualities of God. Abraham seeing him who is invisible means I have met God and he keeps his word. That's simply what it means. I see God every day of my life. He keeps his word. I don't recognize the symptoms of the age. I recognize God. All right? He says, he was patient and the word finally was fulfilled. That's the way God teaches his people patience. Listen now. 
Why, if he fulfilled his word in physical manifestations, the very instant you prayed, you would never learn patience. But would become even more impatient with life. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge patience, and so forth. Abraham was tried after he received the word. He says, God gives us exceeding great and precious promises. He has promised to fulfill them. He will. But from the time we pray until the time we get the answer, we must learn to receive patience into our souls, for only in patience do we possess life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, we're coming down to a close here. God's promised word. God does things in ways that confounds the minds of man. Isn't that so? Brother Brown says, when he, sent the, that when he sent Christ, it bypassed all the nobles in the land and was revealed to the nobodies. All the, noble, all the nobles that were decorated with doctors of divinity and psychology and higher educations, great cathedrals and things, bypassed them all. Revealed to nobodies. The wisdom, the infinite wisdom of Almighty God did it to make known to them the greatest message that ever was. The Messiah is now on the earth. Oh, saints, don't you recognize that statement? My ministry, not in this quote, but he says, my ministry is to announce that he is here. He says, that's the greatest message that ever was on the earth 2,000 years ago. And if it was the greatest message 2,000 years ago delivered by angels, it's still the greatest message. That the Messiah is here. Amen. He says, what a wisdom could only come from God who knows wisdom. All the wisdom and all the schooling and everything was now laid to waste and bypassed by the great wisdom of God. We've come to that again. The scientific advancement of our age, the universities, the theological schools. You want to know what theology is worth? I'll give you, I'll tell you right now what theology is worth. This is kind of a, I hope this doesn't stumble you, but I just read in the news that a theological school in Helsinki, Finland, gave a doctorate in theology to Greta Thunberg. That's just happened these last few weeks. That's what theology is worth. They give it to a 20-year-old who's done nothing in her life other than complain about things. Forget about theology. God bypassed theology. God bypassed Harvard. God bypassed MIT. God bypassed Stanford. God bypassed the University of Alberta. God bypassed UBC. 
God bypassed every university. God bypassed every, every school of study. God bypassed every government. God by the great infinite wisdom of God bypassed every theologian. He bypassed every church. He bypassed every denomination. He bypassed everything. And he came down in the hills of Kentucky to signify, I'm sending my servant. And he was born in 19, was it 1906, 1909? I always get those two mixed up. 1909, is it? 06, thank you. Born in 1906, at this time of year. Matter of fact, it was just the other day. The April the 6th, I think. And so he, was, he came down in April the 6th, way back in the early 1900s, and nobody knew nothing about it. But the infinite wisdom of God says, I'm going to prepare a vessel. I'm specially calling him. I'm going to keep him away from women. I'm going to keep him away from, from drinking. I'm going to keep him away from all kinds of things because I have a work for him to do when I'm older. It wasn't William Branham that kept himself from those things. If it was his, up to him, he would have drank. And he tried to, but the angel of the Lord stopped him. If it was up to him, he would have dated women at a young age, but the Holy Spirit stopped him. If it was up to him, he would have been a murderer. At a young age, he put the bullets in the gun and tried to shoot those boys because of his extreme temper that he had at a young age. It wasn't the vessel, it was God choosing the vessel. And the infinite wisdom of God does not make mistakes. And God sent a message through that vessel. And God opened the seals and had that prophet stand there and declare those seals. So that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, all the mystery of God would be finished. But it wasn't to put in a book. It was to put in a people. That there would be a people that would catch this message. And God chose you. He chose you out of the hills of Africa. He chose you out of the hills of Canada. He chose you out of the hills of Europe. He chose you from wherever you came from. Why? Because he has ordained you to catch this message. More than that, he's ordained you to be this message. How many believe God has ordained you to be this message? And if God has ordained you to be this message then he's ordained you to be Christ manifested to this world. It's not me. I wouldn't even want to tell you what kind of families I come from. I wouldn't even want to tell you what kind of background that goes back in my lineage. I'm ashamed of it, where they come from, drunkards and, and adulterers and all kinds of things going back generations and whatever more. I can't even brag on anything that I look back at. But I can brag at one thing. He chose me. That's all we have to brag about this morning. He chose me. And he paid the price at Calvary. And he rose from the dead, signifying that the price was sufficient for everything in my life to come into the fullness of the manifestation of his bride in this hour. Hallelujah. He revealed it to nobodies. Brother Brown says, I want this to go down deep. All is laid to waste. All of this world's civilization is laid to waste. It was of no good. There was nothing God could use. I'm sorry if there's any Americans here. I know Americans are proud of their country. But there's nothing God can use in America. You say, oh, what? but Brother Tim, the message came to America. No, it didn't. It came in spite of America. Yeah. 
came in the back hills of Kentucky. You ask Americans, what, 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 are, you, what are you Americans uh, most proud of? Well, it'd be our education or it'd be our learning. And I'm not trying to just, you know, throw down on Americans this morning. But, you know, they, they brag about so many times. You'll never get an American to brag about hillbillies in the backwoods of Kentucky. That's America. They'll never brag about that. And that's why God came down there. Just like Amos said, or, or, or Micah, I can't remember which one that said, out of thee Bethlehem, Judea, thou art the least of all the princes of Judea. Out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule his people. Amen. Why God took the least in Israel to bypass all of the learning that had been established in that nation. God took the least of America to bypass all the greatness of America to bring a message to this world. And God has chosen the least. God has chosen the weak. God has chosen the despised. God has chosen the things that this world doesn't like that no flesh should glory in his presence. Because our God is infinite. Brother Brown says God bypassed it all to let God's wisdom have the right of way that God takes the nothings to make somethings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Musicians, would you come? In the mark of the beast, Brother Branham says, it isn't what you ink, what you eat, it isn't what you drink. It isn't how you dress, this, that, or the other. But you are saved by grace through faith. God chose you. If you had anything to do with it, then God owes you salvation. But he didn't owe us. It's through grace. He says, God, by his sovereign grace, foreordained, spoke your life into existence before the world was ever formed and by his infinite mind knowed what you would be in the final end. Then love constrained him to project sovereign grace to the earth to make a provision to save you. That's what Easter's about. God so loved the world. We come back to God in simplicity. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son because he knew you would believe in him and you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. Let's stand together. Key of C. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise, for it was grace that bought my liberty.
you've been faithful let's just bow our heads for a moment the biggest problem in the church is fear because if you realize what Christ did for you and that the sacrifice itself is unlimited and that the God you serve is infinite and he knew all about you and all that will be about you That's why he could tell a prophet, tell them this is what's going to happen to them. That's what a prophet is. Not just seeing a vision of the past, but telling them you're going to be well. Telling them this such and such a thing. You'll find yourself in such a place and you'll find this will happen and that'll be the end of it. So many times, time after time after time, it wasn't the man. The man just got himself out of the way to show that there's a supernatural being present. But I want to say this morning there's a supernatural being present here 
the same one that was in Brother Branham's meetings is here today. The same Lord Jesus Christ who said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So as I said last night, what's your judgment? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And I want to ask you this morning as our heads are bowed, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what your sickness is. It's irrelevant because God is infinite. He covers it all. And he's more powerful than any of it. But I want to ask you, what is your faith? Is what Jesus did at Calvary sufficient for your need today? Why don't you just slip your hand up and say, Lord, I've heard your word this weekend, and I believe that you are all I need. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, Lord, we're just coming unto you with our faith that you've quickened in us by your word, presenting it unto you, Lord, that we believe the sacrifice is sufficient, that we believe Calvary paid it all, that we believe every promise is in effect, whatever promise it is that you would reveal to us, it's already paid for. It's already done. And Father, we lift our faith in your presence this morning and say, Lord, we believe you. We judge you, Lord, as more than able to keep the promise of your word. As you have spoken it, you shall fulfill it. You shall bring to pass every promise, even, Lord, to the body change. You shall bring us into the rapture. You've given us the promise of a rapture, but we wait with patience for it, knowing, Lord, that you're only trying the faith that you have put within us. And Father, we want to say this morning, we believe. We believe you, Lord. We believe in the sacrifice. And we believe in your atoning work. We give ourselves afresh unto you. And Lord, may everyone that has received faith this morning, may they just go from this place completely free. May they just go in the liberty of the Holy Spirit. May they go, Father, everything under the blood. And Lord, knowing that they stand perfect in your sight, that they possess the abstract, they're in possession of the title deed. And Lord, they are an inheritor of heavens and earth. We give ourselves unto you. We give these meetings unto you, Father. Oh, Lord, we love this, this group of people. They've been a lighthouse here in Edmonton, Lord. Father, may you continue to use them. May you use our dear brother Ed in a special way, Lord, as he leads these people. May you use the rest of the ministry that is here. Anoint them with a double portion, Lord. May you use the deacons and the trustees. May you use every member of this body and even, Lord, every, every visitor in this place. Father, may you move mightily through their lives in the last few days that we have upon the face of the earth. That, Lord, if we never see each other again, Lord, may they go on with fervor, with zeal, with the fire of the Holy Ghost, carrying them forward, saying, if God be for us, who can be against us? We thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name. I love you, Lord. 
For your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God Oh, all my life you have been faithful Yes, all my life you have been so, so love his voice I love your voice you have led me through the fire in the darkest night you are close like no other I've known you as a father yes Lord I know you as a friend and I have Sing it together now. Oh, all my life you have been faithful. Yes, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness. Of God, your goodness is running after me. Oh, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you is running after it's running after me oh all my life yeah. amen just sing it from our hearts without the music oh no my life you have been faithful no my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God all together now oh Lord and all my life hallelujah hallelujah 
Oh, he's been so good, hasn't he? Hasn't he been good to you this weekend? Just to lay in the word and the presence of God. It's been so wonderful, amen. And this Easter Sunday, I believe it'd be good just to take a, a few moments and just worship the Lord. Thank him for what he's done. There's no one else that we can glory in but Christ. There's been those that we can look back on in history and those in recent times that have been raised from the dead. But no one other than him could lay down his own life and take it up again. That could come to John in Revelation and say, I'm he that was alive and was dead and I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still an infinite God. If he ever was infinite, he always will be. Oh, praise the Lord. We have so much to glory in, in him and him alone. That's Brother Jeff to help me sing this song. And we know it as a congregation. In Christ alone will I glory. In Christ alone will I glory. Though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure. And only by His strength I've overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands. Oh, but those trophies were not equal to the grace. Let's sing the course together. Five. 
Oh 